galaxy far, far away. And a bookshelf straight out of the 90s. From Thrawn to Dantooine, and everything in between. This is Legends Look Back. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Legends Look Back, a show brought to you by Utini.com, a podcast that's just as cool as Sabayas Abs, where we talk about all things legends, celebrating our rich EU history, as well as diving into lesser-known Star Wars classics. I'm your host, Jared Mays, and today I'm joined once again by the great, the legendary Freddie C. <laughs> What's up, man? Uh, it's going, man. I, You know, last week you, you talked about running, and I never realized that you were a runner, because I consider myself... Uh, a runner as well and uh, I was running down the street listening to this this podcast and I just realized I or this uh, audiobook and I stopped in the middle of the sidewalk just listening to the to the struggle between the the smugglers and the empire and I was probably standing there for a good five minutes and I was like oh man I gotta I gotta keep going <laughs> awesome yeah Meg tells me not to listen to Star Wars audiobooks when I run because um, of, of, for reasons just like that. Should you got to listen to get hype music? You know, you give me the credit as being a runner. Meg's a better runner than me. Meg and I follow each other on Strava. Um, I, the first day, I challenged her to uh, a running competition. I was like, three miles. We'll see who can do it the fastest. I beat her that day and have never beaten her since. <laughs> She's that kind of competitive. Uh, and so now that we have mentioned her, you've heard from her already. Uh, we are joined once again by our, well, She's the savior, honestly, of Legends Look Back. Where would we be without Meg? How are you doing, Meg? I, I didn't realize you were talking to me. I'm great. I'm fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, well, we're glad you're fantastic. Uh, you know her and love her, of course, member of our Jedi High Council and uh, the greatest Mara Jade fan in the galaxy. Cheryl, who do you prefer more, Ben Solo or Mara Jade? Don't answer that. Don't answer that. But um, what you can tell us, however, is... You know, how did you come across Utini, and how did you become our number one fan? How did this happen? Uh, well, I was listening to Friends of the Forest podcast by Brad Whipple, and he had a segment called A Certain Point of View, um, and that had Eric on it, and Eric plugged Utini and the Living Forest pod and said that it was all about the EU books and I remembered hey I used to read those and I used to enjoy them a lot so I gave the Living Force pod a listen and was instantly hooked awesome um number one fan uh I would say probably because amazing content uh I love Corey's swearing and <laughs> ranting particularly we're and, a swear free uh, show I out here Eric's... on Legends Look Back mostly <laughs> there was that one time good. I'll try to be good it's fine and it was still Corey's <laughs> fault somehow he's never been on the show but it was still his fault <laughs> Uh, love Eric's amazing hosting abilities, um, and I usually agree with a lot of Eric's viewpoints. So. Yeah, don't we all? Man. Um, Charles's amazing roundtables. Those are always um, very enjoyable. Uh, Wes's Texan antics <laughs> are always I do love me some enjoyable. Some, and, uh... Yeah, the guys just always make me laugh, and that's really important to me. So, And I have to say, community. So the Utini Discord, particularly, and spending time with all the Utiniacs in there has meant the world to me. So, excellent. You know, uh, you know, you've talked about the Living Force, but I want to know what about Legends? What about Legends? What's your history with Legends? Oh, I, How did you? Yes. Uh, when did you start reading <laughs> Legends books? 
Legends. I probably discovered Legends. I want to say like around the time that the Phantom Menace, like the hype before the Phantom Menace. <laughs> um, and I randomly, I was going through. I used to spend a lot of time at like the bookstores. Um, I don't know why that was like me and my friends' favorite hangout. And I was like, hey, I wonder if they have any Star Wars books. And lo and behold, there were tons. And so I luckily managed to pick out Heir to the Empire as like my first Legends book. Amazing. Perfect. What a great starting place. I mean, there's only a few that um, there's only a few Legends books that I think are as, as, you know, equal or close to equal of a good starting place as Heir to the Empire. We do have some really good news, some really exciting news, a big reveal, okay? I've teased it. Now, now let's see if we can actually pull it off. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we ran a contest on the show. You remember this, Freddie? The book, the guess the, the number of books in the, the bookshelf contest. Uh, I, of course, had 410 in the bookshelf as of the time of recording the show. Um, I now am up to 418, I think. And uh, we, of course, have our winner of that contest, which is Jedi Murphy. Woo-hoo. Jedi Murphy. Uh, is that right? Yeah, Jedi Murphy. Okay, I thought I heard somebody disagreeing with me. Anyway, so her guess was how many? Uh, 420? And now I'm up to 418, so they're even more correct than they were you know, a few weeks ago, which is amazing to think that you can somehow get more right as time goes on. And the the prize in the contest was... Tell me your favorite Star Wars character, and I'm going to have my kids try to draw them because I'm all about those free prizes. I'm that kind of redneck, okay? <laughs> and um, they gave the options of Mara Jade or Baby Yoda. Well, I barely got the words Baby Yoda out of my mouth before my six-year-old ran wild and drew not one, but two babies Yoda. <laughs> Are you ready? Here's the big reveal. I just threw them up in the Legends Look Back Discord. Um, here was her first attempt. Ava, six years old. And Baby Yoda, who's never seen a second of The Mandalorian, mind you. This is all based off of one stuffed animal and a Christmas ornament. It's her only exposure to Baby Yoda. The first was this. Aww. In which Baby Yoda is looking kind of like like a Muppet, maybe Salacious B. Crumb. Slash BB-8. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, very proud of this one. It's almost somewhere between really cute and pure nightmare fuel, which I appreciate it for oh, that. I love it. The... <laughs> The second attempt, in some ways, is better and in some ways is worse. So let me know your your guess in the chat, your your preference. Do you prefer version one or version two? Which baby Yoda is the best of the two babies Yoda? And I will tell her tomorrow what you all think. So uh, you got better image qualities in the Legends Look Back Discord channel. Obviously, getting my camera to pick them up is only going to do so well. Um, so one or two, which baby Yoda um, was the best of the two. What do you think? Second one has some Pikachu vibes going on there. <laughs> yeah, definitely major Pikachu vibes. I love that. You know, as a as a fan of art, I have to say, uh, I really love the the Baby Yoda BB-8 hybrid combo. It's very imaginative. It's like a it's you know like a a, a collaboration, if you will. <laughs> uh, and and I really like the second one because you're right, Cheryl. It gives me like a Pikachu kind of vibe. And I, I dig it, so. Yeah, I had not thought about that. I'll have to tell her that you said that. Um, yeah, I was pretty proud. She do the, She did those with no help from me, which was amazing. Um, she's been doing, you know, her, her homeschool, uh, all that online schooling, and 
She's right over on the other side of the, the wall from the collection. She's working on those. And um, I was pretty impressed. Got to say, pretty impressed. If these two go on the refrigerator, which I need to ask Jedi Murphy, do you want me to mail them? I'll mail them. I'll mail them. Uh, but um, otherwise, they're going to go on the refrigerator alongside of our other babies, Yoda, that we've colored from like our Mandalorian coloring book. I got to tell you, we're like two babies, Yoda, away from uh, having an entirely baby Yoda refrigerator. Ooh. Well, you know who else loves art? I would think since it's a prize, you should mail it. Well, like she should sign it. Oh, she should. Absolutely. Should we'll we'll leave it up to her. Um, <laughs> it was one of those things where it's like, do you mail things in 2020? Are we risking mailing germs across the world? I don't know how all that works, but you... that's literally how you get all your stuff in 2020 <laughs> is through the mail now. Yeah, not 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 person to person. That's for sure. Well, uh, you know what else I am an expert about? is Legends, and we're going to be talking about one excellent Legends book tonight. Specifically, we are moving on to the explosive finale of the Thrawn trilogy with just as many clones as Dark Empire, but this time they're not as naked. Whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, we're going to leave it up to you. Let us know. And uh, before we do that, though, I do want to say we got a little bit of Legends news before we move on. We'll keep this brief. They mentioned this on The Living Force this past week. There is. Uh, Freddie, I saw you getting excited about this like a whole week late, late to the party. That's fine. Legends is all about, you know, just <laughs> tackling it on your own time frame. We're going to have, for the first time ever, a collected edition of the original fiction written for Star Wars Insider. And the best part about this news is that it's labeled Volume 1. Am I right? Yeah, that's what I like about it, too. We, just seeing that volume on, as a collector, right, Volume 1 is always a good sign that there's going to be a Volume 2, maybe a Volume yeah. 3, who knows? You know, I've got to say, it's not always a direct indicator that there is going to be <laughs> multiple volumes, but uh, I love Star Wars Insider. I love Legends. I love those Star Wars Insider um, short stories from Legends, and I especially love collecting Star Wars books to put on my bookshelf, and so we're going to be able to collect them right alongside with my other Star Wars Insider volumes. I've got Best of Volumes 1 through 4, uh, and so this is going to fit in nicely with those. Uh, Cheryl, how about you? Are you excited for this uh, This this short story collection? Uh, it wasn't on my radar. Okay, well, now it is. No. <laughs> now it is. <laughs> the correct answer is... I'm more excited about my deluxe Chaos Rising. Oh, did you get one? Uh, yes. That's really cool. I, I couldn't quite pull the trigger on it, but I am happy for you. And awesome. uh, if if you have uh, you know a random person showing up to your house in canada the day after we've all been vaccinated um it's it's not me and i'm definitely not there to steal your <laughs> uh, deluxe edition copy of chaos rising well we are gonna be talking about a different thrawn book however tonight and that is the last command could not be more excited to be talking about this gotta say i finished the audiobook like two hours before we went live because that's how it is done over here um freddie let's start off with you what's What's your personal history with this? Uh, did you read this right after the other two books in the Thrawn trilogy? Um, how has this one stood out to you as opposed to the other Thrawn trilogy books? Yeah, I, I, so I remember back when I read the first one, was it was sort of by accident. I saw a Star Wars book. I picked it up. I decided to read it in a classroom, and I really liked it. The second one, I actually looked for it because... Uh, I want to say that they had printed the one that I had read right after that, so it had both of the books inside. 
but I had no idea about the third one until maybe like three or four years after I read the second one. I, I didn't know where it was at. I didn't know what it was called. Uh, so I found it. I read it and I was like, oh my goodness. And so I read the whole thing over again, like back to back because it was just so intense to me. And I had to, I had to put it all into perspective. That's awesome. I love that. I love that you read the Thrawn trilogy by accident. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and now that we have utini.com, no one will ever read it on accident ever again because we will show them that this is the way. Um, Cheryl, how about you? You know, obviously we asked you to be on the show for this book in particular because you love this trilogy. You love Mara Jade. But what about The Last Command? We know you love Heir to the Empire, but how about uh, book three? So I picked up Heir to the Empire. I started reading it and then I went to Sweden with my grandparents and I took it with me and finished it while I was in Sweden and I was like oh my gosh I need to know what happens and so I like made my grandparents take me into Stockholm and find a bookstore and I bought the next two the Dark Force Rising and Alaska Man wow. at a bookstore in Sweden and I finished reading them there that's amazing that's awesome. it's an international legends journey I love it um now, this is going to be a, a, an excellent question here to show off how little I know about the world. But was the copy that you bought in Sweden in English? Yes. <laughs> and it's I like, cannot hear her it's anymore. It's the same so that's paperback. Awesome. Um, I will do what I can to get her back. And I'm assuming that she said yes, which is how she, she was able to read it. Okay, yeah, thanks. She also Freddie, you're about... my C-3PO for Cheryl here. <laughs> <laughs> she said yes. <laughs> excellent. <laughs> I love that. Absolutely. Well, uh, without further ado, we're going to be getting into it here. Uh, the fact of the matter is the behind-the-scenes background information on this is pretty much the same as it's been for the last two books in this trilogy. The author is Timothy Zahn. The cover art is the initial, the original cover art, which is all we're going to talk about tonight, is by Tom Young. What I will say about the cover art, though, however, Freddie, you know I can't let this slide. Samoyoth's <laughs> chest is back, y'all. It, it is, is back. back. It's That's what was missing glorious. from Dark Force Rising. Not enough Sabayoth abs, am I right? Yeah, yeah. And you know what? I, I think just, just from how this book goes, right, he's got such a pivotal point in it as well that they just needed to show his abs. They had to. <laughs> there was no other choice. <laughs> oh, man, I love that. I was looking at my uh, new hardcover, got these fairly recently, uh, pulling it out so I could try to get it on, uh, you know, on the stream. And I was like, oh, my gosh, there's abs on here. And um, I could not be more excited. Love the just whole, his whole vibe. Very confident. Say what you want about Sabayoth, but I mean, he's got a strong sense of of style, doesn't he? He does, and <laughs> you can tell um, he's very into that '70s open shirt culture. You know, uh, it, it works for him. <laughs> I was just gonna say, I was like, oh, he has absolutely, the same style I love as that. Uh, of course, if you're looking for some related material, um, you can pick up the. West End Games source book for The Last Command. I've got the one for Heir to the Empire. I've been uh, lurking a lot on thrift books and not been able to find the ones for the other two in the trilogy, Dark Force Rising and now The Last Command. But there are uh, West End Games source book. If you want to do some role playing over the holidays, grab your family members over Zoom, please, and uh, do you some uh, <laughs> some Thrawn trilogy role playing game. Might have to do some kind of a special edition of Legends Look Back where we uh, dip our toe into that. I really have no idea how any of that works, but it could be a ton of fun. The author on those is Bill Slavisek or something like that. Bill, we love you. They're great. Also, there's a Dark Horse comic adaptation, six issues from Mark Barron and Terry Dodson, written in uh, 1997 and then um, finished in 1998. So, 
Without further ado, if you have not read this trilogy, this is your last chance. This is your last warning. Remember, folks, this is spoiler-heavy territory, and there is a couple of huge spoilers, huge <laughs> twists in this book. So if you've never read it, this is your this is your cue. Go on out and send me a message in Legends Look Back Discord. I will I'll straight up, I don't know, like, there's got to be a way to share my Kindle copy, right? Can't you loan friends books? If you need to read this, I'll hook you up. Uh, wherever you are, I'll put a mask on and drive to your house, if that's what it takes. Love these books. Can't wait for you to love them right alongside us. So, Freddie, let's do this thing. Honestly, it's a tale as old as time, really, if you think about the plot for The Last Command. Boy meets girl, right? Boy falls for girl. Girl has a personal vendetta instilled in her mind as the dying command of her evil wizard master and has to kill the boy's clone who was created by an alien military tactician in his ultimate scheme to take over the galaxy and restore glory to a fascist empire. And before she can kill the clone, she also has to have an epic laser sword fight with the buff, bare-chested, deranged clone wizard with control issues who wants to mind control his own army of clone soldiers and also kidnap the boy's sister's twin wizard babies, right? Classic. Tale, it's just classic story. Tale as old as time. Absolutely. <laughs> You know, effectively, though, the plot for The Last Command revolves around a handful of questions. Thrawn, uh, Zahn loves his mysteries, right? So the protagonists are trying to answer these key questions. What's Thrawn planning? Uh, where are all these clones coming from? How do you outsmart the smartest man in the galaxy? Can Thrawn even be beaten? Is it even possible? Where do Mara's loyalties lie? And, of course, will Card and the smugglers join the fight? Are the smugglers redeemable? These are the big questions that are being asked throughout the book. We're going to tackle some of them tonight, some of them next week on part two. Ultimately, the third and final chapter to the Thrawn trilogy opens with Sabaoth growing impatient with the fact that he's battle-meditating Thrawn's forces, but all he really wants to do is creepy mind-controlling stuff on Leia's Jedi babies. Please, just give me the babies. Also, how did Thrawn get all the necessary staff to man the Katana fleet? And how come all these rando Imperials all look and behave exactly alike? I guess it turns out he's got a highly efficient cloning facility somewhere, which is reason for concern. So Luke, in tandem with Talon Card, do some good old-fashioned sleuthing. You know, the kind where you form a coalition of the best smugglers in the galaxy. Just the normal way of sleuthing. No way that's going to backfire. Mara Jade, meanwhile, is recovering from the injuries she sustained in the climactic battle to steal the, the Katana fleet back in Dark Force Rising. She's under the care of Winter, Leia's look-alike childhood friend and personal aide, and Mara likes none of those details about Winter. Well, in a way that would make even Corrin Horn blush, Winter, being very perceptive, leads uh, this leads Winter to become suspicious of Mara, so she does more investigating. Wouldn't, wouldn't Corrin be proud, Freddy, of Winter's <laughs> investigation in this book? If there's one thing that Corrin loves, it's, it's his, his uh, you know, detective background and his sleuthing around. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Winter does appear in those, uh, those X-Wing books. Yeah. Um, but an original Zahn character here. Anyway, um, where are we at in the notes? It seems like, you know, obviously she would uh, be able to detect some of these details about Mara such as the fact that she knows a little bit too much about rebel code words and is way too good at playing hide-and-seek in the Imperial Palace. She knows a lot about this place. There's more to her story than she's letting on. So, before the climactic showdown at the Emperor's not-so-secret anymore vault on the mountain on Mirkur, several key events happen, such as the birth of Han and Leia's twins, Jason and Jaina. Maybe you've heard of them. Oh, and Sabaoth also throws a tantrum that lands him in lockdown in the mountain on Mirkur. 
and a lot of treachery and smooth talking between Card, Niles Farrier, and the smugglers, and there's a sneaky strike team that infiltrated the Imperial Palace in order to kidnap the Solo Twins, but Mara and Lando put a stop to that, but Mara got blamed anyway, and is arrested. So no big deal, though, because Han and Leia love busting people out of lockup, especially since Mara just so happens to know the location of the Emperor's secret cloning mountain. Also, in order to debilitate the rebels on Coruscant, Thrawn dastardly releases an unknown number of cloaked asteroids in Coruscant's orbit. I mean, he memed them hardcore with that one, didn't he? Uh, Which really was just more annoying than anything. So, Thrawn, could you please just stop dropping asteroids up in orbit, please? Okay? It's really getting old. As our heroes ultimately try to infiltrate Mount Tantus, Mara is pretty obsessed with hearing Palpatine's dying command to kill Luke Skywalker. But she kind of hates that she actually likes Luke. Plus, Luke reveals the fact that he actually had nothing to do with killing Palpatine, and Palpatine was actually kind of a bad guy, Mara. Anyway, Mara's starting to have a change of heart, but, you know, she uh, really just needs to kill Luke Skywalker first, right? There ends up being a convenient surprise because it turns out Sabaoth made a clone of Luke named Luuk from Luke's salvaged hand that he lost on Cloud City in that movie. Maybe you've heard of it. Uh, the Empire Strikes Back. Anyway, uh, Vader apparently, all the way back then, had recovered the hand and the lightsaber and stashed them in Palpatine's mountainous garage. Gross, am I right? What a hoarder. What a hoarder. I mean, but I've got to hand it to him, though. I can't think of anything, honestly, better to do with an amputated hand. Can you? All in all, the final battle between Sabayoth, Luuk, Luke, and Mara involves a lot of force lightning, grandstanding from Sabayoth, flying lightsabers, Surprise entrances, mind control, but eventually ends in Luke unleashing Card's Vornskers, Strum and Drang on Card or on uh, on Sabayoth, who of course forgot his pepper spray. I guess that would have been convenient this time around. Mara satisfies the last command. There it is, the title uh, from Palps to kill Luke Skywalker, and thankfully Palps's hypnotic command didn't notice the extra vowel, and Mara was freed from his influence. Finally, as Thrawn had seen right through the Rebels' charade and misdirection and was totally winning the big space battle at the Bill Bringy shipyards at the end of the book, Thrawn was assassinated with a knife in the gut by his own no-grief bodyguard, Rook. But Thrawn died smiling because it was so artistically done. Whew, as was that introduction, am I right? So, Freddie, rate this book on a scale of 1 to 10. I think we've given perfect 10 to the last two, haven't we? Yeah, I'm pretty sure I gave like a 9.5. Okay. I have to go and make a, a copy like you do of everything that I've talked about in uh, an archive of everything I've rated. But this is this one is up there for me. It it's it reminds me a lot of of it has it has a, I forget who mentioned it in the chat, but it has a standard uh, what do you call it a trio right? You've got the the beginning, which is starts off with the introduction of everything, the starting of things. Then you've got, you know, the Empire Strikes Back kind of trilogy module, which is dark, you know, especially Dark Force Rising. Then you've got the end, which is a, a celebration of sorts, but it's also, it's very satisfying, even to the end when he's smiling and he says it was so art- artfully done or are so artistically artistically done, you know? done yeah we got the quote yeah. wrong on the shirt yeah. which actually might do us a favor in terms of intellectual property i'm not sure we'll talk to <laughs> i think so i think we're good <laughs> <laughs> but it, it it really was the way how everything was laid out and and how everything happened and and how thron died you know at the hand of his own personal uh special forces and it, it was a just, it's a beautiful book and it's 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 tense the whole time because you're not sure what's going on you're not 
entirely sure if Thrawn's picking everything up, and then you start to see everything fall into pl- uh, into place. But uh, until the very end, you're not sure how everything's going to go until, yeah, you know, the, the it's got end, a big really, finish till the very end. So, yeah, huge ending. I gotta say, in my rereads of this, the only thing I can ever remember about this book is when Luke slides down the wall of the city with the lightsaber, I like that part. And then the other thing I always remember is Luke. But besides that, I'm always like, I don't have a clue. No idea. I have no idea what's happening in this one. Um, so what was your score, Freddie? Did you give a number? Or did I you just ramble on artistically about... Yeah. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Rambled for sure. I, I would say this one, I really like this book. I like it a lot. It, it definitely gets the same rating for me as Heir to the Empire, which is a solid 10 because it brings you back around. And after the trilogy, you feel completed. Like, this is it. I'm good. Yeah. I'm, I'm solid. It does come right. around well. Um, how about you, Cheryl? What's your What's your rank on this? I mean, you can rank the whole trilogy while you're at it. You weren't on the other shows, so now's your moment. Uh, I just wrote down 10. There you go. <laughs> Excellent answer. If it was any lower, we'd just go ahead and uh, shut you off altogether. We'll just do the next episode without you. No, I actually am not even sure I give this a 9. Um, oh. I Maybe, maybe a, an 8.8, 8.9. I found the beginning so slow and tedious. I found all of the smuggler drama so slow and tedious. But That's is my that because part. is it because I've read this five or six times? Probably. I do love the ending. However, I belly laughed today while walking my dog when Sabayoth says, "It's Luke, your clone." <laughs> I I belly laughed. I had somebody in their car watching me walk my dog. Um, look at me like I was deranged because I was so belly laughing, walking my dog. Um, it, the reason, oh my gosh. It, uh, however, a great book. I especially love the ending. Uh, we'll say that much about it. So without further ado, let's get into the characters. Where else could we start but with Luke himself? I mean, just the regular Luke, sorry. Just Luke, Luke Skywalker, the good one. So last week we talked about Empire Strikes Back and in chapter seven of The Last Command, right here, uh, Luke reflects on his impulsive rescue attempt on Cloud City, and he's got this whole um, inner monologue, maybe he's saying it to somebody, I don't remember, he's like, the last time I rushed off when I thought my friends were in trouble, I lost my hand, so he's clearly learned a lesson, and um, Freddie, how do you think Luke's analysis of, you know, the most beloved movie ever made, shows his character growth? He... He, he it's so funny because it, in in the trilogy the original trilogy right we we see his growth you see him go from uh, what we all consider him a whiny farm boy to uh, a jedi knight and it's funny because you see him grow in in the thrawn trilogy as okay well in during that time this is what i thought but now you know this is probably what i should think and this is how i should act Right. And, and just to give you an example, when he's fighting uh, Druus, he says, you know, leave them alone. I'll stay. Uh, and that seems very Luke instead of just fighting him. And, and you can tell he's not give, giving into his anger. He's telling himself to, like, calm down. And he realizes that, uh, you know, whatever he did with Vader, he's got to he's got to remember those lessons that he did. And, and you can see that happening in the book. And it's pretty fascinating to see his growth. Yeah. Thrawn Trilogy Luke is a very nice boy, isn't he? He's, he's I mean, a very nice boy. He's a he's exactly what you would expect a Jedi to be. Super and nice. I, I actually appreciate that in the next trilogy, the Jedi Academy trilogy, he's um he's definitely more fallible. 
and yet also more superheroic at the same time. So I can't wait for us to talk about those. Well, Cheryl, how about you? Um, how does this show Luke's character growth for you? Um, I think it shows that he's gained some hubris. Um, I think that obviously... I can imagine that you could develop somewhat of an ego if you had the ability to literally move objects with your mind and influence people with your mind and have visions of the future. So, But it's clear that Luke's learned Yoda's warning of always in motion is the future. Oh, and yeah. that rushing into situations without thinking of the consequences is never a good idea. Um, I think... Like a teenager that's grown into adulthood, he's become less impulsive, irrational, and dangerous because he's no longer acting from a place strictly of emotion. But now he's considering the consequences of his actions. And so much so that we see that now he's even thinking of the task of training his niece and nephew, and he's grappling with the apprehension of that and of being able to train them in a way that teaches them strength and with responsibility and like having wisdom and compassion while also having that power so i think that yeah. we see like luke's grown a lot since the last i like that you said he's he's thinking about training his niece and nephew yeah. so that's actually one of the things i like the most about this trilogy is you see sabayoth trying to amass his own army of force users and bend them to his image and instead luke is thinking more responsibly obviously you know not a deranged evil clone um, thinking about how he can train his own um, Jedi Order. And uh, it is really cool that we get the notice. introduction of... What's that? He gets freaked out, too. He's like, how am I going to do this? <laughs> yeah, so, so you do see him be a little human, yeah, which is yeah. nice, because he does come across as pretty super heroic in these books, doesn't he? He does. He he comes off heroic, right? He He's coming in to save the day. Uh, but I think the th- the part that makes him more human is he loses his Jedi ability. In, in a good portion of the books, in my opinion, and he has to go back to feeling what it feels like to not have the Force at your side. Okay, and yeah, with the uh, the Ysalamari. Exactly, yeah, with the Ysalamari. And uh, it it kind of shows his, his you know, he, he's still capable. He, he You you can tell he's a warrior either way, whether he's got his powers or not. He's not as good, obviously, when he's not a Jedi. But when he is stripped of the Force, he's still very capable. Not as capable, but he still knows what he's doing. I like that a lot. You know, the other moment in the book where Luke especially looks fallible is when we find out that Luke hasn't told Mara the truth about his parentage. So it's isn't it Sabayoth, Freddy, who has to reveal to Mara that that um that Darth Vader was Luke's father? Yeah. No. Yep. The, no, no, no. No Who was it? Wasn't. I'm pretty sure. It was the Nogri. The Nogri. In the forest. Ah. She says, who is the son of Vader? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There it is. Yeah, See, that's why I've got Cheryl on the show to keep us honest. Notes. This is part of my notes uh, <laughs> later on, so because it's one of my like favorite. But shouldn't it have yeah. been? But, shouldn't like, it have been Luke who told her? By the way, I know you are a big Palpatine fan, not a big Vader fan. Vader's my dad, but here's here's the way it all worked out. It shouldn't. I mean, they spent like all those days hanging out in the in the jungle back on Mirker a couple of books ago. Um, Freddie, shouldn't shouldn't uh, Luke have been the one to tell Mara? Yeah, you don't want to hear that, that from a Nogri. It's so funny that we bring this up because I remember when I first read that, I I was thinking to myself, how could she not know? Uh, I mean, he was right there the whole time. I, how could he not know that? I don't know. It just it was one of those things that you'd expect him to to say, like, oh, by the way, my dad was Vader, you know. But I think us as a viewer, 
because we know it. We just assume that everyone else in the universe yeah, knows it. Which is which is. It's not like they're just gonna go walking around being like, "Oh, guess what? <laughs> they don't." <laughs> that's true. You know, like, and that's the crazy thing to think about it, right? And and I've actually had a couple of of people listen to this show, and they have they still have no idea that that Luke is is you know first of all the relation between luke leia and then vader uh so it, you know we got to take ourselves back every once in a while and think about it not everybody does know yeah it really caught me off guard i was like wait she still doesn't know this part oh this isn't gonna go well uh luke does a decent job you know by the end of the book redeeming himself but it's definitely a setback mara doesn't need to find out any other information that might accidentally make her finally go ahead and kill him because this book she's quite heavy-handed with the fact that She's going to kill him sooner or later. I'm going to kill you. I love that uh, when Leia eventually has this conversation with um, <laughs> with Luke, or with, with Mara, that uh, Mara says, I'm going to kill your brother, you know. And Leia's like, are you now? Like, it, <laughs> it, Leia never really takes that seriously, which is just an excellent Leia moment. Before we get to that, though, um, as we move into talking about Mara, Luke, okay, cut Luke some slack, you know. Luke, he, he does some good things, he does some bad things, but we we love him, right? Mara, however, is still establishing herself in these books as uh, an original character who's going to uh, stand the test of time as, uh, you know, for Star Wars fans. And one of the things that really sets her apart is the fact that she used to be co-workers, uh, an apprentice even, if you think of her that way, to the Emperor himself, right? And even all the way through this book, it's not until the very end that she starts to change her perspective, she has a really different view of the Emperor, doesn't she? She's got this idea that Luke ruined her life. Luke and Vader teamed up and assassinated the Emperor. Um, Cheryl, why do you think Mara had such a different view of the Emperor? Why? Wh- where, where does her twisted perspective come from? My perspective on this is grooming. Uh, Palpatine's a master manipulator and predator. So we learn that Mara's taken away from her family, so that's alienation by the Emperor at a young age to do his bidding, so she's being conditioned, to where her identity is completely tied to him, so she's become dependent. So now this doesn't take away from the fact that she's trained to be resourceful, she's skilled, she's independent, however, she is absolutely shattered when he dies. And that, and her existence of being his servant is taken away from her because her identity is tied to wow, him. Blowing my mind here. So she's very much a victim of of grooming and abuse. Oh my gosh, I never thought of her that way. What about you, Freddie? Have you thought of uh, Mara along these lines? Uh, no, it's so funny because I I always try to come from like the 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 force point of view, right? Where we all know Palpatine is a very strong dark force user and clearly even through his death he still has this this I don't even know what you would call it like a hypnot he basically hypnotized her to always want to kill Luke no matter what he programmed her and Cheryl you said it 100% you were right on he he groomed her he he basically brainwashed her and and that's who she's become and and it took the final act, right, which was killing Luuk, um, <laughs> <laughs> but it took it took that final act to break the the dark side hold that was around her her spirit, if anything, right. That's so that's my point of view. But, but your 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 point of view is right on. It's exactly. But she and she's never she's never defined as a dark no. user. She's neither light she's nor in the dark. Middle, yeah. 
and it's she doesn't know honestly it's because she's not doing it for her own selfish gains she's doing it as a servant to a master still so it doesn't really fully open her up to the dark side so that's why she's never like can we call her a gray jedi can we do it can we say gray jedi on this podcast (laughs) (laughs) yeah we can say gray jedi we had a controversial (laughs) conversation the other day and and maybe the Legends Look Back Discord channel, I think, with, uh, was it Bro Dameron, who said, as soon as you say Great Jedi, I'm never listening to the podcast again. <laughs> so we want you, Bro Dameron. As soon as you say it, I'm we out. We want you here with us. Um, you know, she's still got a long way to go. But, no, she's definitely not, uh, she's not wielding the red-bladed lightsaber. You know, as soon as she picks up a red one, that's when she crosses the dark side. It's all about the color scheme, right? Well, that's a, that's a great way of looking at it. I think you're both right. I think Cheryl's more right, Freddie. But I do think that with, <laughs> with, um, this last command, it does definitely seem like hypnosis, um, except for way stronger and way more dark sidey. Uh, absolutely. So, you know, ultimately, Mara, though, is redeemed. Spoiler alert. And she's still got a long way to go, even at the end of, <laughs> even at the end of the book. She's still, like, only reluctantly playing ball with Luke. She's still uh, got a long way to go in terms of her, her allegiances shifting and loyalties being adjusted which which makes a lot of sense if you think of her having been conditioned from such a young age by the emperor um but you know luke he made a lot of mistakes along the way with his relationship with mara especially in the whole you know not telling her about his parentage thing it's kind of a big deal they're gonna have to overcome that and a lot of marriage counseling um but there is of course this key conversation that happens with mara and leia when mara is recovering from her injuries um, earlier in the book. So, Freddie, let me ask you this. Is it more this or that? Is it more Luke or more Leia who's responsible for redeeming Mara? What do you think? I, It's hard to, to really think about it because I think they each had their own impact. But I would definitely say, I mean, if she had not killed Luke, I don't think she would have ever been able to get over that, right? It almost seems like that was, that was the last... Uh, the last command, if you would, uh, of Palpatine. No, I can't say it anymore. It's <laughs> egregiously done in the book. We're not going to say it again. But I, yeah, I hate it when books or movies say the title. It drives yeah. me insane. It, it, it is pretty, yeah. Anyway, so that, that was kind of... <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, I think it took the twins to, to both show them what, what the Force like the other options of the force right because she only knew the dark side she only knew what was capable on that end but she never really truly understood the other side and and you know the rebel the rebellion uh the new republic luke she didn't understand that and she's now she's now stepping into that worldview because she was in the in the you know the fringes for for a while right after the empire right and never really truly got to see what what the empire or what the rebellion was doing and what they were what their purpose was and i think it took a lot of that to understand and for her to to kind of picture it and and, and soak it in if and if anything and of course kill luke who wouldn't right yeah that's a good point luke is not really willing to take that last step in actually actually executing one of these dark siders uh, Luke can't bring himself to do it. Mara, however, no reservations. Totally ready to spear these suckers through the gut. Um, Cheryl, had I, have I asked you this question yet? Uh, who I don't think I have. Who's more responsible for redeeming Luke? Is it or for redeeming Mara? Is it more Luke or is it more Leia? You hadn't asked me, and I have a different response than Freddie. <laughs> Imagine that. Ooh. 
Um, I said, I think Leia, because Leia planted the seed in Mara's head that perhaps the desire to kill Luke was not hers, but rather Palpatine's. Uh, she starts her on a more realized path of self-discovery and starts those wheels to really start turning. Um, I also think that she can reach Mara on a different level because Mara isn't going to listen to Luke as much because she thinks that she hates him. So there's emotion blocking her judgment there. Leia is someone that Mara, while she may not necessarily be fond of her, I feel like Mara still respects her. Um, and she opens up to Leia more readily, and maybe that's um, just being able to have a heart-to-heart -heart with another woman, so she feels like she can let her guard down more, and maybe then maybe she would with like a man. But I definitely think that Leia mm. is more responsible for setting Mara on the path that she eventually goes down. Yeah, I I actually kind of thought that too. She she had a more sensitive touch, um, whereas Luke is a little more blundering, isn't he? <laughs> He, yeah. he's looks a little more clueless the, clueless sure the the force definitely pairs them together in my perspective and it's such a great match however not as good of a match as lando and mara who get a great scene together in this book don't they cheryl <laughs> cheryl's nope. favorite uh relationship gonna, mara and lando <laughs> we had to do it right over that comment <laughs> we had to go there you know who else is blundering uh han solo um, oh, Han also, you know, like Leia, but in his own weird way, is sticking up for Mara. Specifically when Mara is arrested by the New Republic, um, uh, Han makes a big stink of it. He's like, what, are you going to arrest everybody around here? Um, Freddie, why do you think Han did it? I, I had a hard time figuring out what motivated Han to stick up for Mara. What about yeah, you? You know, this this very much, I, I was thinking about this for a while because I, I felt what Han was feeling. And I feel like I, I, when it comes to characters and, and their thoughts and, and how they respond to things, Han definitely says what I feel. And it's like, look, man, I know I can trust her. I feel I can trust her. And if I can trust her, like I don't just trust anybody. And for me to, to feel that she is someone who wouldn't do that, like it's unfair. And he's trying to fight for, for who, who he believes she is as a character. And he likes, you can tell that she I guess they speak the same language sort of right because she she did work in the smuggling kind of industry for a while and that's definitely where Han in Han the smuggling from. industry I mean it's an industry right the info <laughs> industry I guess um, and, info and drugs <laughs> and it's very much a reputation thing for Han right so if you can prove yourself uh, and you get you get cast into this zone that she did which is you know she's the outsider she's she's she was part of the empire of course they're going to blame you but he's like no guys come on don't be so blind don't be so dumb to to you know what's actually happening yeah he and, says uh, uh, we're going to take the imperials word for it they they broke into our castle palace they broke into our secret base that's not so secret right here on coruscant we're just gonna <laughs> we're just gonna take their word for it exactly it's like come on guys Han? like think about it a little bit more use some use some sense go ahead cheryl Han also knows what it's like to not be above suspicion when it comes to the New Republic okay. with his checkered past. So I think that he can relate to her in that way. And um, I think also for Han, actions speak louder than words. So he may not necessarily trust her 100% yet, especially when it comes to Luke, but like Luke's a big boy, he can handle himself. But like when he needed someone there to protect his wife and his newborn babies, she was there. Yeah. And every instance that he's seen with her thus far, 
she keeps on choosing the side of the New Republic, whether or not that's something that she always intends, but she she ultimately always Yeah, she's has. done nothing treacherous. Um, I, I like the idea that she, she played to Han's fatherly instincts, that she protected the babies uh, as a dad, you know? Hey, I don't care how you treat me. I care how you treat my wife and my kids and my dog. You know, treat me terribly. But uh, be nice to the kids, all right? Please. Um, that's excellent. We've talked about the heroes here. Let's bump it over to the villains, though. I love me some Sabayoth. Um, Thrawn is totally eclipsed in these books for me compared to Sabayoth. What an interesting character. And in the new... This is my biggest gripe, Freddie, with these Legends reprints of the Thrawn trilogy, the ones they did a few years ago. There's no Sabayoth. We, got, we, we did the math from Club J. Didn't they say 275% more Thrawn on the covers? Yeah. But 200% less Sabayoth. Um, it's tragic. We need more Sabayoth in this world. Let's make a hashtag. However, Sabayoth does do a number of things that are, on the one hand, horrible, obviously, but on the other hand, comical. This first one seemed a little bit too real world. It seemed a little bit close to home, and obviously, uh, Zahn didn't have our real world uh, 2020 politics in mind when he was <laughs> writing this book back in 1992, 93. But at one point in the book, pretty early on, Sabayoth makes a claim that he is the heir to the Empire. So, you know, obviously, for me, that's the title of the first book, which blew my mind to think, was Sabayoth the heir to the Empire all along? Uh, Freddie, do you think that's what Zahn had in mind when he wrote the first book? I, I always <sighs> thought, you know, Luke's the heir to the Empire. He's the son of Vader. Or the double entendre there is, is Thrawn as the heir to the Empire. He's the new big bat on the block. But was it Sabayoth all along? It's like when I first learned that the Phantom Menace wasn't uh, Maul. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, this is a good one. I, I've been trying to figure this out. I, I think it's meant to throw us off, right? It's kind of like a red herring. There's there's really there's really three options on the table. And, uh, you know, if you're a Star Wars fan, you kind of know who it's going to be eventually. Uh, but you've got three contenders for Heir to the Empire. You've got the, the tactician. You've got the crazy and strong Druus Sabaoth. And then you have Luke, who kind of fits the mold of, of what the Jedi foretold, right? A Skywalker uh, or, or, you know, someone who's going to come in and, and do some stuff. But uh, honestly, Rule the galaxy the right way, yeah. You know, it, it, it's it's a tough one. I feel like it, it, it's a toss-up, and at the end, we kind of know who it is. Uh, but um, I, I don't, I, honestly, this is a tough one I, because they end up both the same, right? <laughs> they don't make it out of this book. Yeah. Cheryl, do you think that... Sabayoth was in Zahn's mind the heir to the Empire the whole time and it only took me what was the first time I read this but it only took me 10 years to realize 20 years I honestly honestly I don't know (laughs) and sometimes I think that Zahn tends to do this thing where like I don't know if it was initially something that like it's like he doesn't initially always have something Mm -hmm. in mind but in true Zahn fashion he can always find a way to tie something in down the yep. line even if it wasn't something he was thinking of initially at the time of writing it so uh i just think it's something that he likes to do where he's like hey maybe i can go back and find a correlation there and i think that the original title for heir to the empire was something different oh yeah yeah that's true and they didn't like if anybody it. knows in the chat let us know so they made him i don't remember it. but yeah I, wild I was, card it was I, wild card there's just so many yeah. possibilities yeah and there's a, a lot more entendres with wild card because you've obviously got card, whose name is you know in the title. But then you've got uh, Sabayoth's kind of the wild card in the mix, and you know 
Heir to the Empire. It's a great title. You know, also a great title, Heir to the Jedi. Am I right, Meg? <laughs> no, we won't. We no. won't deal with that one. Absolutely no. <laughs> not. So the on, on the real world side of all this, though, Sabayoth keeps talking about his entitlement. It's like he was a millennial the whole time, you know. Um, he's like, "Where's my participation trophy?" No, but but on a scarier level, Sabayoth keeps talking about the fact that he, as the Jedi Master, he as a Force user, has a right to rule the galaxy. So what in the world is he getting at here? Does a Force user actually have more of a right to rule the galaxy than any other, you know, uh, any other deserving person or elected official or, or government? Cheryl, do you, uh, do you think that, that Sabayoth is, um, do you think he has a point here? Or, or is this kind of the fallacy that led to Palpatine ruling the galaxy in the first place? So your question on the show notes was, <laughs> what right does a Force user have yeah, to I rule asked the it, galaxy over any other being I asked or it government? Uh, differently. <laughs> yeah. Three different ways. So you just asked a little bit differently. But I put none. Uh, a single Force user has no right to rule the galaxy over any other being or government. That's dictatorship. So no matter what, a governing body needs to be comprised of beings that encompass the thoughts and intentions of all of which to, that belong to it. And Force users can be corrupted just as much as any other non-force user so yeah. just because you have the force does not imply that you are morally superior to non-force users and able to rule and yeah yeah i think you're you're on to it they are morally um you know they're capable of slipping and that's the point is they're they're, they're yeah, still Sith. beings Hello. right <laughs> um freddie what do you think the the fallacy in in sabayas logic is well first of all uh first of all sabayas was absolutely delusional he he was crazy and everyone around him thought he was crazy the problem is he was powerful and a crazy person with power is going to come up with something right which is i am clearly superior to everybody because i look, look at what i can do that no man can do so why can't i create a strong uh a universe right whatever it is why can't i create a strong universe with people that are just like me and and that just shows how how delusional he was to the point where where you would read the scenes with him and thrawn and you would roll your eyes and be like oh this guy again like what the heck he's just screaming uh yeah. and and knocking people over with his his voice <laughs> at least yeah, that's I loved how it i when... read it he's very unstable yeah he is he's very right. extremely unstable and i think because of his instability that just gave him some sense of of delusion and grandeur and i mean he was crazy I, I always thought he was just a crazy person and i half the time i just wish i was han i could just be like shut up man i don't want to hear you <laughs> yeah i would love to hear han having a just normal conversation with sabayoth i'm sure that would go great you know out of all the things that sabayoth does that are egregious you know he does a lot of grandstanding which gets old when you're reading the trilogy um Obviously, you know, I compliment the wardrobe choice with the open-chested robe, but, you know, other than the whole obsession with trying to control the Jedi babies thing, I think the thing that he does that that bothers me the most is when he mind-controls Pelion, because Pelion, he's like, he's everybody's favorite Imperial. He's so clearly morally um, upright, even though he's on, quote-unquote, the wrong side, right? Um, Shiro, how unsettling was it when Sabayoth mind control Pelion? Did you want to? Do you want to throw your book across the room or what? Yeah, it's it's very unsettling because it's it's brainwashing. So 
or it's kind of like being like hypnotized and then you don't recall anything you just said yeah. or did. Um, having someone else control your mind is like hell scary. Um, but I think what was scarier was what he did was to general. Oh is yeah. It that was, yeah. That was creepy. I say, uh, I say Cabell. Yeah. I think that was scarier because he like legit replaced chunks of his mind with his own desires and didn't do a good enough job of it. And then then coupled. Down. Yeah. <laughs> It was like botched mm-hmm. Well, and I think it was important that we got so that, that in the book like... because that's something that's going to come up a lot in Legends, um, the ethics of mind control and even forced persuasion, and some people take more liberties with it than others, looking at you, Jason Solo. Um, it's something that especially that comes up a lot, and I like that Zahn establishes that as a big no-no early on in Legends, don't you think, Freddy? Yeah, it's... I mean, persuasion and, and all of that is... is... I mean, persuading something, someone is literally changing their will, right? And and changing someone's will, whether it's for good or bad, is is a, one of those ethical questions of, you know, you've got a group on this side and you've got a person on this side. Which which way do you run the train? Um, yeah. And and honestly, of course, you know, if someone does it for for the good of something, uh, you know, it, it, you can just brush it off. But bending someone's will especially when it's someone that we all consider to be similar to us, right? Or, or you know, if it's like uh, someone yells at your kid, you'd be like, no, you can't do that. Only I can right. yell at my kid. <laughs> yeah. Nobody else gets the mind control, Pelion, especially not you, Sabayoth. Um, You know, I, I'm always looking for these biblical connections. And I know, all right, hey, don't want to get too religious with all of this. However, however, I'm a preacher. You can't stop me. At one point, Sabayoth really got me going when he said he wanted to create these Jedi babies in his own image. Did you catch that part? Um, he says, you know, that uh, he wants to reform them in his own image. And that language specifically, you know, comes from uh, Genesis to say that God created man in his own image. And I think that Zahn is intentionally trying to tell us that Sabayoth is trying to make himself into his own God. Don't you think, Cheryl? So, like, even if God created man in his image, he still gave him free will. Yeah. And I always call him Kaboth, so sorry, I pronounce his name wrong, but he doesn't want the twins to have free will. He wants them to have his will alone. So he wants to reform all beings, whether they be, like, the twins or the clones or whatever, to the extension of his will for his sole purposes and desires. So that is peak narcissism and psychopathy. So he's he's a psychopath. So I love that point about free will. You're schooling me on on my own book on the Bible here. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think he's just trying to play God. He is just literally trying to have everyone be him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Wow, man, Cheryl's taking us to the theological deep end tonight. If you don't grab onto something, we're all gonna drown. Um, (laughs) Freddie, what do you (laughs) think? do, do you think the Zahn's trying to make a, a biblical illusion here? You know, it's funny. Because or am I just someone, looking for it too hard? No, no. I, I, I can kind of see it. Uh, someone in the chat just pointed out how, how interesting, you know, the, the <laughs> initials of uh, Jesus Christ and George Sabaoth. Uh, and we have like a, a bootleg version of, of a bootleg delusional version of Jesus Christ. Like this is probably how he would be, right? Just absolutely crazy. Uh, going about things the wrong way. Like I see where you're going, buddy, but you're you're totally on the deep end. You got to come back over here, put the floaties on, and come back. Uh, 
yeah. and and you definitely see that he wants Sabayoth would not want to wear floaties. <laughs> no, he he would just not. Yeah, he would not do that. He's got his abs. He's good enough. He can float. Uh, but yeah. So in, in terms of of the whole God thing, you can see that. I mean, he when he when he said to in my eyes when he said that he's the the heir to the empire of the entire universe. I mean, he's expecting everybody in the entire universe to bend to his will, just like Palpatine. But I also feel like Jeruus is coming at it in such a delusional way that he thinks he's doing he thinks he's doing good. And that's the scary part. Right. Yeah, that really is. We're talking about that more next week. Uh, the other villain, however, well, before we move on to our other villain, I've got one final Sabayoth question here, okay? And uh, Freddie, I don't know how much TV you watch. You ever seen those commercials, man, where um, there's like the guy in the car who's whining and complaining and his friends say, you're such a diva and uh, just eat it. You always, you always uh, turn into a diva. He's like, um, I'm really botching the commercial here, aren't I? <laughs> Just edit in me doing a perfect job at telling this story. Just edit in the commercial. Whoever's editing this later. Um, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Those Snickers commercials where they say, you you always become a diva when you're hungry. And so they hand him a Snickers. Yep. There it is. <laughs> they hand him a Snickers. And then he's fine. Right? So what if Sabayoth, who's such a diva, isn't he? What if he just ate a Snickers? Right? I, I have an image that if Sabayoth ate a Snickers he would turn into like an anime version of himself with flowers <laughs> in his hair and stars in his eyes. That's what I see. His shirt would probably button itself back up though. No, it would go a little bit lower. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> you want to chime in on this one, Cheryl, or should we move on? No, just move on. It's fine. <laughs> well, let's talk about our other major villain here. And I've got a, I've got an excerpt y'all. Um, I've got an excerpt. This comes from, well, I didn't mark what page, so it's somewhere in the book. Um, listen to this. I think it really gives a great snippet of what Sabaoth, excuse me, of, of what kind of leader Thrawn is, especially when compared to and contrasted with kind of what we see in the original trilogy, of course, with, with Vader and with Palpatine. And then we, we also see him contrasted with Sabaoth here. Sabaoth doesn't like the way that Thrawn is talking to him. And it, it says a lot about Thrawn's character. So listen to this. He says, um, if you kill me, you'll lose the war. Thrawn, that is, reminds the Jedi Master. And if you lose the war, Leia Organa Solo and her twins will never be yours. Sabayoth took a step toward Thrawn's command seat, her eyes blazing, uh, his eyes blazing even hotter. Then, abruptly, he seemed to shrink again to normal size. You would never speak that way to the Emperor, he said, almost petulantly. Oof, that's a tough one. On the contrary, Thrawn told him, on no fewer than four occasions, I told the Emperor that I would not waste his troops and ships attacking an enemy which I was not prepared to defeat. Sabaoth snorted. Only fools spoke that way to the Emperor, he sneered. Fools or those tired of life. He's such a diva. The Emperors also thought that way. The Emperor also thought that way, singular, that is. The first time I refused to... Uh, I, I refused. He called me a traitor and gave my attack force to someone else. The Grand Admiral reached up again to stroke his Ysalamir. <laughs> That's an image, isn't it? Now, after its <laughs> destruction, he knew better than to ignore my recommendations. Man, it's a jam-packed excerpt with um, excerpt. See if I can say that five times fast. An absolutely jam-packed excerpt uh, with character development for both Zon, uh, both Thrawn and Sabaoth. So, Freddy, what does this say about what kind of leader Thrawn is, though? What does this say about Thrawn as opposed to the Emperor, as opposed to Vader, as opposed to even Sabaoth? 
well, th- if if Thrawn is one thing, he's efficient. He's efficient with his time. He's efficient with with his people, and killing, you know, unnecessarily killing resources is not ideal. Whether it's it's you know in, in your everyday job or whatever. And and Trump and Trump. Whoops. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'm just saying, a, a leader knows that his resources are valuable, right? And Thrawn knows this. If you you can't just waste your average. Uh, you can't waste your, your troops. It doesn't matter what, where they're at. You just cannot waste them because then in order for you to get them back, you've got to retrain them and it causes this whole cycle. And and to me, that just shows that Thrawn knows his people are are important, not because of who they are as people, but what they are as resources. And yeah. and because of that, you know, in, this, in throughout this book, everybody has something uh, to, you know, to that, that, I guess a trigger word for Sabaoth is, well, then I won't let you control me or I won't let you control me or you can't control them, right? It's like, oh, what? What? You, you, uh, okay, let's go back to the negotiating table. And I feel like it's such an easy way to to go about it. So, Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Cheryl? Um, what does that excerpt say about Thrawn's character? Sorry, this is going to be long because Thrawn's my boy. That's fine because uh... I'm skipping the next question. <laughs> So get it all in here. (laughs) Uh, That Thrawn isn't reckless, that he does not act out of emotion. He values the lives of the men and women that he is entrusted with and doesn't treat his soldiers as expendable. Uh, He's also bold AF. (laughs) Like who else tells the emperor on four separate occasions that he's not yet ready to strike and that he wouldn't waste his troops and ships? Like he's deaf's not a fake it till you make it guy. And the fact that the emperor didn't just kill him after he refuses to like obey the emperor shows that uh, even though the emperor was probably like super pissed, he still uh, knew that Thrawn was worth keeping alive and was going to prove useful. And I think another moment that I thought really highlighted this type of leadership from Thrawn is when he promotes the tracker oh, beam and love that part. lieutenant love after it. he tried to overcome the covert shroud gambit that Luke pulls. So the tractor beam dude wasn't like successful, but Thrawn recognized his quick thinking in his attempt. And he did, he like, instead of berating him, he promoted him and gave him his first task is to devise a solution to that particular stunt. And that guy was just like, yeah, he's just, he's going to serve Thrawn now. Like, hardcore. well, at least for a little while longer. Cause uh, <laughs> Thrawn's going to, of course, well, yeah, yeah. going to bite the bullet, you know I mean. the knife. Um, you know, we've talked about all, all the different um, traits of Thrawn. We've talked about his different admirable qualities. However, uh, far from perfect. And in particular, though, um, he underestimates one particular player on the chessboard. Are they called players? One piece on the chessboard, and that is the Nogri, right? Um, so leading into this, though, he's got a lot of different pieces in play. If you think about Thrawn playing this epic game of chess, or or what's that one that Empire at War? Is that the one that Andrew plays where it's, um, <laughs> you move the ships around and yeah, battle strategies? Yeah. You know, That's he's playing one of those for sure. Um, so which of these tools, all right, in Thrawn's arsenal, which of these pieces on the board do you think is the most powerful, Freddy? Is it the Nogri, the Katana Fleet, the clones, his tactical brilliance or this crazy dark jedi that he's you know brought on to his team which one do you think is is most important in thrawn you know getting as far ahead in this book as he does 
hands down, his brilliance is a tactician because without his brilliance as a tactician, we would not have he would not have had the no gree under his his grasp. He would not have found the katana fleet. He would not have discovered this whole cloning uh, facility, and Drew Sabayoth would not have ever come into the story. He, you know, he might have eventually come into the story, but uh, without Thrawn finding all of these pieces, putting them together, and of course, uh, you know, using using his opponent's art, whether it's done by themselves or or just from the species, and understanding their their nuances, I don't think we would have gotten this this kind of book without that brilliance. Yeah, you really see his tactical brilliance, especially the way that he he outmaneuvers Bell Iblis, trying to outmaneuver him in terms of are they going to go to Tangreen or Belbringi, and um, Thrawn sees through their charade, which is amazing. Um, he also has some of Ad- Admiral Ifar's art that mm-hmm. he made when he was young. Oh, I know that was that was surprising, wasn't it? That helps him in that one too. Yeah, that yeah. was a good. And next week we're gonna do a fun game with art. So uh, yes. <laughs> just hold on to that one, everybody. Um, yes. Cheryl, what do you think? Which of those tools—the katana fleet, the clones, the nogri—which um, is the most important for for Thrawn? I'm gonna agree with Freddie and say his brilliance as a tactician. Uh, <laughs> Thrawn could MacGyver his way through anything <laughs> so long as he had an opponent's art to study. So you can give him a paperclip and some <laughs> art, and he will. I love that. Ass, so. Oh, I've never seen MacGyver. I've only ever seen MacGruber from SNL. <laughs> so I'm picturing picturing Thrawn as Will Forte. Uh, Ten seconds, MacGruber. Well, we've talked about the the good guys and the bad guys. Let's talk a little bit about um, the the OTP of this trilogy. And I'm not talking about Luke and Mara. I'm talking about Garm Belibulus and Mon Mothma. Um, I had a huge revelation <laughs> in reading this. Uh, Sure. What do you think the chances are that Bell Iblis and Mon Mothma were actually just formerly lovers and not just politically opposed, um, reluctant allies? Um, am, am I onto something here? Maybe just, maybe just like a long, long ago night of too much spotchka resulted in a one night stand. No, for for <laughs> Bell Iblis, it is absolutely Karelian whiskey all the way. Ah, okay. Sorry. So, yeah. I mean, does Mon Mothma have time for That's romance? A good point. Seems unlikely. So, yeah. What do you think, Freddie? Do I have something here? <sighs> you okay? So, it's so funny that you you bring this up because when whenever I read about them too, I'm like, man, she is super salty about him, and he's super salty about her. Like, there <laughs> there's no hiding how salty they are with each other. Yeah. It's like, well, if if she, if uh, you know, I'm gonna come back. She needs to ask me for her herself. And, and, you know, it, it could have been after a long night of raiding an Imperial garrison. They're I don't just, want the situation. I don't need the circumstance. They're just sitting there with a, little, with a few death sticks. You There's know. a line somewhere between yeah, Massachusetts no, I, and California. But I can see, I can see, uh, <laughs> I can definitely see that there, there might have been a romance, especially because they had the same ideals. But of course, the more they got to know each other, the more they got to realize that they they may have been fighting for the same thing, just the wrong way. And yeah. Well, they just had bruised yeah, that egos. That too. I think that too. Too, so. I I don't know. In my head canon, my head legends, they end up together. All right, it happened. Okay. At least for me. That's called shipping. I don't know. Is that what that's called? Was that a thing in legends? It's yeah. a thing now. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No. Like. Luke and Mara were like, I didn't even know what shipping was, but I wanted them to end up together. So. Yeah, I guess, well, I'm shipping uh, Mara and Lando. So, you know, <laughs> to each his own. 
to each his own. Even though I know how it all turns out. Well, um, obviously that's a fun pair, but another fun pair in a very different way are the Solo Twins. How'd you like that for the worst segue there's ever been on Legends Look Back? <laughs> um, <laughs> however, even though they don't get a ton of screen time, screen time, page time in this book, it's hugely significant that Zahn is introducing a new generation of solos. Freddie, do you think he had any idea how much these solo babies would take off in the EU? I feel with a lot of things that Zahn does, he has an idea of, I'm going to create this canvas. I'm going to put it out in into the ether, and, you know, whatever happens, then, you know, it happens. But uh, I, I don't know if he understood what was going to happen. Of course, you know, two two Jedi babies, something someone's going to do something with, you know, in terms of a story with those babies. So Okay, so you think he was uh, throwing it up for somebody else to... Catch the baton. Do you he catch just batons? left it right? I mean, he left a lot of things in this book for for yeah. growth. So he actually does some complaining. Zon does. See if I can pull up quotes for next week about <laughs> the way people misuse his setups in in the next 10, 15 years of Legends. So I can't wait to talk about that. Uh, Cheryl, what do you think? Um, <laughs> do you think Zon had any idea of where this was going to go with Jason and Jaina? I think he must have had a hope for it. Um, how much he could have predicted, I don't know. But I think he must have been certainly pleased with how This actually was a, kind of a point of contention in the difference between the Thrawn trilogy and uh, Dark Empire. Because Zahn, excuse me, almost said Zahn was pregnant. Yikes! Um, <laughs> Leia was pregnant in Dark Empire. But then in Heir to the Empire, we found out that they're twins. It's not just one baby, but two. So then later on, Tom Veach and Dark Empire has to retcon the fact that, well, actually, she, in my book, is pregnant with the next kid, Anakin, who, who plays his birth is chronicled in Dark Empire. See, all the, the solo twins we got Dark Empire, my book, and we got um, the Thrawn trilogy, Cheryl's books. Um, so sharing the love with the solo babies over here. But uh, before we move on, who's the bigger baby, <laughs> Han or the actual babies? Because there's a few points in this story where I'm like, Han is throwing an absolute hissy fit. Uh, do you think that, uh, Freddie, do you think that Han is more childish than his actual kids? Uh, it's funny because I don't have any kids, so I can't really relate <laughs> too much. But but I could see if I were, if you know, if I was in the situation, I'd be like, wait, uh, in some instances, it's like, I want, I want some attention. Like, what about me? <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's what it is, the outcry of attention. The kids are getting all the attention. Uh, he's like the older the older sibling yeah, uh, yeah. alongside the father. <laughs> you want to chime in on this one, Cheryl? No, I thought you were I thought you were referring to like the birth scene in this question. Oh, I might have like, been. I don't remember. Your baby Han or the actual babies? And I was like, look, he is showing empathy and concern for his wife's well being while she's going through physical torture <laughs> and experience of giving birth. So it just makes him a good husband. Like, no, in my like, opinion. Um, Zahn really taps into Return of the Jedi with this trilogy. It, this is, it's, it's the sequel to, not the original trilogy, but the sequel specifically to Return of the Jedi. So he writes Han as this kind of buffoonish, bumbling dad. He's got major suburban dad energy in the <laughs> Thrawn trilogy. I think he's a good dad in these No, he books. is, he is. But he's very much like, um, yeah, absolutely. I can relate to that. I can relate to that. Uh, do you have kids, Cheryl? 
I, okay, I, so hey, I'm the only one with major suburban dad energy on this podcast, so it's it's my word of the highway. All right, one final character before we uh, close this out. We got to talk about the big reveal, and no, I'm not talking about Luuk. I'm talking about Rook, right? Uh, Rook. How do you say it, Freddie? I know you say it all exotic, don't you? Uh, I just put a little a little harsher kh on the end. Rook. All right, that's a good. Why did he do it? Regardless of how you say it, um, <laughs> walk me through Rook's thought process. We never really get inside Rook's head other than he's scary and he's loyal to Thrawn. And then there's a knife. Why did Rook do it? Yeah, first of all, the Nogri. I, I, I feel like they're so underrated until you realize how how crazy they are in terms of, of how skilled they are as warriors. Uh, especially when they're, when they're uh, on that planet and all of the predators just are gone everything's gone and they're like what the heck yeah that was a big revelation when they realized hey this this waltz into T- mount tantus was way too easy and we find out later the nogri had taken out all of their adversaries yeah that's that's a big reveal was so fascinating to me and that that was such an underrated part in my opinion but rook ultimately the the species themselves the nogri live by a code of honor and ethics and yeah there it, it may be very rigid but they realize that if someone was doing something to wrong them, that's it. They're done. It doesn't matter what you did before that. If you wrong the Nogri, you wrong the species, you wrong the honor, you are no longer a friend or, or an ally. And Rook knew that. He, he felt that through Lady, Lady Vader, right? Uh, he, he realized what was actually going on and that yeah. he was not going to stand by and accept his, uh, the, the maltreatment of the Nogris. And of course, he was down. There's also like embarrassment for that. Yeah, too. extremely an embarrassment. And and I mean, what would you do if you were a warrior race who realized you were being used and your planet was being poisoned, right? Yeah, I'd yeah. probably knife my boss for sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Cheryl, why do you think Rook did it? We never see him talking to any other Nogri, and he, he we never see him being convinced by Leia. Uh, how did he get word? You know, how did this happen? They 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 reference it oh, in the they? book that when when Luke's talking with uh, I forget which particular Nogri he's talking with, but they said even now word is re- word is reaching our commandos that are out doing the Empire's okay. bidding. So they're they're coordinating, but they're just all going to do it at the same time so that they know that each group knows what's going to happen so that none of them. That's are how like efficient they are. Taken out. Yeah, and uh, my answer to this was vengeance. Yeah, he, I love it. He, he says, uh, he stabs him and he says, we are avenged. And I was like, get it, bro. You just yeah. get that stabbing. Yeah. Way to go. Also, when Thrawn uh, dies, he smiles, which is kind of crazy. Um, Freddie, did you notice that uh, we've had the wrong quote on our on our tank top all this time? <laughs> I, I did, and I always thought it was just because of... <laughs> Of you know intellectual property and whatnot. Uh, no, that was just brain fart on my part. You know what? Like, brain fart. It, it might have saved us a lot of money in the court. <laughs> yeah, who knows? Who knows? Uh, however, Cheryl's rocking it tonight. Absolutely yeah. rocking it. I was gonna wear it, but it's like uh, 17 degrees outside in Massachusetts, and my Star Wars collection room is the draftiest, drafty, draftiest room in my house. <laughs> All right, one final character beat we're talking about. Um, everybody, what's your favorite character moment in the book? We've talked about the good guys, talked about the bad guys. Um, we've talked about the weird ones and the babies. 
So so for me, it's when Mara meets Winter. I talked about it earlier in the book. Mara wakes up from her, what, stasis? Her back to, I don't know. Um, she wakes up from having been basically, you know, near death at the end of Dark Force Rising. And she has been cared for by Winter. And Mara's like, who are you? Winter, very nice person, right? Uh, she's basically a stand-in for Leia. You know, she's Leia's childhood friend and look-alike. And I love this interaction when Mara meets Winter. It's basically a now there are two of them moment, isn't it? Because she's like, oh, awesome. There's another Leia. I just love this. And she's so salty about um, the fact that she's around all the, the goody-goodies. And it's just perfect, isn't it? Um, Shira, what's your... They're also playing like they're also playing like chess in that yeah. scene because they're trying to gauge right. one another and Winter is the one with the perfect mind and Mara's just like super smart. So there's like that intellectual game of chess happening all at the same time, I think. Really yeah, cool. definitely. What's your favorite character moment, Cheryl? Uh the moment that Mara fully realizes her hatred for Luke was not her own when she asks, Who is this son of Vader you keep referring to? And then they'll agree tells her um, that Luke is Vader's son. And then the full truth hits her like a tidal wave that this was not her own desire, but rather the Emperor's final act of revenge. Oh, okay. So very See, it's just now hitting me too. <laughs> it very clearly encapsulates how years of manipulation by a predator will have very real, real lasting effects on victims recovering from that type of mental wow. abuse. So. Wow, you take this on a whole new level. I feel like Cheryl's reading a different book than me. She's like getting this on an entirely deeper level. I'm like, well, because she has to think that she has Close. to sit there and think, how many of my thoughts are my own, and how many have been ingrained in me by someone who's been using me as yeah. a tool. No, no, no. You're right. I just right. well, there goes my book. All right, time for the episode to be over. Freddie, what's your character <laughs> moment? <laughs> uh, I have a few character moments, and uh, you know, I was thinking about all of them in the book that I really enjoyed, and. It's funny that you didn't like it, but I loved it so much. And, and maybe it's because I see myself in the underground. Like, I would definitely be out there in the uh, uh, smuggling slash information industry. That'd be the slicing, right? Yeah, with magic. Uh, yeah, yeah. And and every time uh, the the smugglers and that group meet with, like, the rebellion, for instance, they're just like, oh, we don't trust those guys. Uh, I can't remember any of the names at the moment, but it's every time Wedge runs into him, he's one of the uh, Aves. Aves, yeah, he he always runs into Aves, and and you know Aves is he's like, who the heck is this? He's like, come on, man. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a great Aves bit. It's a really Aves great bit. Now like... that you mention it, yeah, it's it's one of my favorites, and especially the just seeing the smugglers at the very beginning getting shocked and surprised by by the Imperials to me was one of my favorite scenes because it just shows like. These smugglers are just so out. <laughs> they have so many illegal weapons. I bet, like, who knows what what they were doing? And of course, obviously, that was a bit of a setup. But um, just just seeing how capable they are, and how even though they're not really sponsored by by a republic or an empire, they make well more than enough money to to outfit themselves and and yeah. do what it is they need to do to you know create this coalition. And that's honestly my favorite moments is anything to do with the smugglers yeah i like that um i i find it especially meta that you like wedge also forgot abe's name <laughs> wedge would be proud <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well Definitely, cheryl you asked yeah. me to put in one specific portion in the show notes just for you which is give me a chance 
to say anything I feel like you've left out. So this is your moment, Cheryl. Did we miss anything? We've gone almost two hours here. <laughs> what what have we left out? I know. I just I feel bad. I feel bad if I keep on talking. I just like the moments when like Mara would always like she would reach out and take Luke's hand when she asked him like, okay, kill me, don't let me join. Um, you oh know, yeah, type, that was like, heavy. Promise me that you'd kill me instead, and then. Luke touches Mara's hand when asking her to accept the role of liaison between the New Republic and the Smugglers. So it's all about the hand touching oh. in Star Wars. And oh, the hand touching. Yeah. I see what you're doing there. Mm-hmm. Well, we've talked tonight about the characters, and it's been epic. Freddie, did you want to say anything about uh, anything we missed? <laughs> I'm just no, I, I, blaze I, past I just you think there. the the Smugglers and, and the No Greed the are smugglers. definitely my favorite part of this whole book. So you get any closing thoughts? And he says, just the smugglers. Just the smugglers. I love them. (laughs) Well, we've talked about the characters tonight, and boy, have we ever. Next week, we're going to get into the overarching questions. You know, the big, heavy-hitting questions like this. What is the Porkins formation? And (laughs) what would you do with a mountain full of clones? (laughs) And does the smuggling coalition actually make any sense? Because in case you can't tell by my question, I don't think so. Anyway, should Luke have given Mara his father's lightsaber? The lightsaber. The big one. The blue one. What the thing? That lightsaber. Mara's got it. We're going to talk about that next week and so much more. So, in the meantime, we've got so much that you can do to interact with us in between shows. That does it for this week. Uh, do want to say thank you to Meg, our producer. Thanks to Nathan, our video editor, who's been with us in the chat tonight. Uh, appreciate that, man. And uh, thanks especially to our incredible patrons, just like Cheryl. And you can get in, like Cheryl, on the behind-the-scenes of Utini with access to all kinds of bonus shows, including Meg's new show. Meg, you've got a new show. My camera just died. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's how long we've gone. Uh, Meg's got a new show. And uh, you can also get on on, on Calf Faves, uh, Bounty Hunt, Lightspeed Skipping, and so much more. Now that we're live on Twitch, you can help us out by subscribing, either the old-fashioned way or with Prime Gaming. Also, we want your questions. Email us. Give us a text. Give us an audio file. Legends look back at utini.com or leave us a voicemail. 508-686-1158. That's 508-686-1158. You can, of course, also talk to us in the Legends Look Back Discord channel, which has been hopping this week. Absolutely hopping. Or, you know, leave us a message on um, this episode on YouTube, or you can find us on Twitter. I'm at Jared Q. Mays. Freddie? At Wake Up Freddy. Meg? At Meg Dowell. And Cheryl? At Cheryl K. Bell. If you're looking to buy some of these books and want to help support the show, look up a book on Utini. Click the Amazon link in the profile or the Thrift Books link or the eBay link. We've got them all. And we'll get a few cents to help keep the lights on. Another way to help us out and show your love of Utini is by grabbing some swag from Teespring. Voice kind of cracked there. But you know what? You can check out uh, the incredible swag that's sported by Cheryl herself, including our It Was So Artfully Done tank, not artistically. Anyway, um, that was totally on purpose, I promise. Also, we've got... A brand new line of merch with masks, hoodies, long sleeve tees. And, of course, if you read any of these books, head over to utini.com and leave us a review. Let us know what you think. And in the meantime, we'll be back next week with part two. Between now and then, remember to keep the Utini fan code and be a force for positivity in the fandom. May the force be with you. This is a Utini Broadcast.